you're listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Crawford. In this episode, I interview Orvis Vice President of Fly Fishing, Wing Shooting, and Orvis Adventures, Steve Hempkins. And we talk about everything from climate change to how Orvis is implementing sustainable business practices to fight climate change, uh, going carbon neutral, and even some of Steve's favorite flies, rivers, and species. Hope you enjoy. This episode of the Sustainable Angler is brought to you by Emerger Strategies, a sustainable business consultancy that improves the social, environmental, and economic bottom lines of your business. Profit sustainably. And uh, thanks for carving out some time for me, Steve. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll just go ahead and dive in here. Um, Sounds great. Happy to <laughs> happy to be with you. Yeah, man. So, um, Steve, we we met um, at a, a couple of, or maybe it was last year or two years ago. Had the opportunity to meet and. Um, during our conversation, um, we had a, or, or I guess we have something in common in that um, we both lived in Jackson Hole for, for a period in our lives, and um, which kind of got me thinking, you know, I, I know a little bit about you in that regard, but I don't know um, your story, how you got out to Jackson, how you got into fly fishing, how you became um, a part of Orvis. So I thought I'd just kick things off with just, uh, Getting a little bit more background on on you. Cool. Um, I grew up in St. Just outside of St. Louis, Missouri. Big uh, Catholic family. Oldest of seven kids. Four boys, three girls. Um, and uh, can my earliest memories are, are fishing and hunting with my dad. And you know, we we played sports and and did uh, had a lot of fun. Is, is kids and I got exposed to fly fishing when I was in high school through a classmate of mine and then uh, a, a faculty member who ultimately took my brother and I and my buddy Nick who taught me how to tie flies on a couple uh, western adventures when we were um, when we were in high school so we did a lap out in Colorado hit the South Platte and Cheeseman Canyon and and the frying pan and that was awesome and then um the next year we went out to wyoming and uh fished uh some 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 water that's still relatively under uh that fewer people are aware of in the middle of the state and then went up to the wind and um fished for some goldens and then went to, to yellowstone and fish in the park and so that really was a was a transformational moment for all of us in terms of the west and fly fishing and dry flies and wild fish and the mountains and 
all that. So uh, went to college in South Bend, Indiana, Notre Dame, go Irish. I did find myself um, sneaking out from time to time in the fall to go steelhead fishing on the St. Joe and, and some of the trips around there. And then uh, graduated with a degree in, in English lit. Wasn't sure what I was going to be when I grew up, but it worked through college um, at Feathercraft Fly Fishing, which is a really, really well-known um, catalog and internet uh, retailer in, in the sport. So I worked there for five years doing all the stuff that you do in a diversified small business. And then um, in 2005, had met Tom Rosenbauer through a fly fishing charity event for St. Jude's Children's Hospital down on the White River in Arkansas. Uh, one thing led to another uh, fortuitous wedding of a college friend up in Vermont. Uh, poked around a little bit with Tom about uh, opportunities that, well, actually said Orvis or Vermont was a cool place to live. And, and um, he said, well, we've got some opportunities at Orvis. Why don't you come work, work here? And, and, and in that moment, I was kind of more enamored with some of the other cooler fly fishing brands at, in the industry. But I, I thought that I should hear him out. And, you know, fast forward almost 15 years, and I've been incredibly privileged to be able to be product developer for Rods and Rails, Line Leader, and Tippet. Um, for, you know, the, the, one of the greatest fly fishing brands, we've done a lot of fun, um, stuff in terms of making Orvis more contemporary and relevant, proving our products, outreach to guides. And, and as part of that journey, just, uh, uh, assumed more and more leadership over, over the, the business. And so, um, that's, that's kind of my story, my, um, wife and I had the opportunity about six years ago. She's an apparel designer and she had the opportunity to go out and work in, um, for Mountain Khakis. And their oh, office cool. is in Wilson, right at the base of Teton Pass. And we rolled the, the cosmic dice um, to, we had just gotten married, didn't have any kids and wanted to, to, to live out West in a mountain town. And two of my brothers at that time lived in Jackson. And so um, Orvis through that transition was incredibly flexible with me and, and created a way for me to continue to participate with the, the company and, and to, to lead the business in different ways. And we had our first son, Luke, who's now four out in Jackson and then, um, decided for a number of reasons to be closer to grandparents and, and, um, hopefully reduce and simplify things. We moved back to Vermont be three years ago in in December so had three three and a half years of um awesome experiences in in Jackson uh chasing elk around and and fishing and being in the mountains and now uh, we're lucky to call a really um neat and, and and special part of the world home again and um up here in Vermont yeah, that's um, so Wilson. I actually uh, used to live in Wilson. You mentioned that, and um, recently had had an opportunity. I'm sure you you. I just have to mention this because it's like my favorite, maybe breakfast restaurant ever. But <laughs> Norris Huevos Rancheros at uh, Norris Fish <laughs> Creek with the that, chorizo. Oh man, <laughs> gotta do it. Yeah can't get enough of it. We, we, we took my daughter 
uh, Emma Claire there for the first time and, and gave her her first Nora's blueberry pancake. So, um, <laughs> that yeah, that's great. awesome. Um, that's, great. Oh, that's super cool. That's so, a great plug for anybody who's going to Jackson to go to uh, Nora's Fish Creek Inn, James Beard award winning restaurant. Get the way most rancheros and chorizo or blueberry pancakes. Well, isn't, isn't that crazy though about the James Beard Award? I actually did not know that and, until our most recent visit out there. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Um, super cool. Yeah. But then one of the other chapters of my, and it, I think it really started, had less to do with um, living in Jackson and more just with a, with a combination of events, but had met. Um, I think someone that you also know, Hillary Hutchison, who's a guide and, a, and, and a, a figure in the fly fishing industry. And we fished together and participated in a, kind of a think tank type of event uh, in the fly fishing industry. Geez, probably six, six years ago about recruitment and, and conservation and challenges facing the fly fishing industry and, and um, a uh, one of the founding uh, members of Protect Our Winners, Auden Schendler, uh, spoke about just kind of the existential threat, not just to fishing, but to the world posed by climate change. And so the past five or six years, I've really tried to immerse myself more and in, in use my, my influence in the industry and within Orvis as leader in the company to to be a, a voice and an advocate for sustainability and for responsible business practices and, and for ways in which the industry can, um, you know, lead and, and, and be more thoughtful about the impacts that we have on positive and negative to, to, to critters and to ecosystems and, and hopefully be um, a, a positive uh, part of, of, of change going forward. And I think that's kind of what, um, brought us together uh, last year and what yeah. kind of was the was the genesis of me chatting with you today yeah yeah absolutely and and um, I, I had seen recently well a couple things um, one is if anyone is looking for a good uh, sustainable business book out in Schindler who's uh, involved with protect our winners but also I think he's the, like the, the VP of sustainability at uh, Aspen Snowmass. Yep. Um, he wrote a great book and it was one of the first um, books on sustainability that piqued my interest and um, got me sort of on, on this career path actually um, is getting green done by Alden Schindler. It's, it's a, it's a, it's an insightful book of someone who has, implemented sustainable business practices at a ski resort and it's a it's a really good read so that's kind of a an aside but um but on the note of protect our winners i saw what is y'all's and what is y'all's recent involvement i've I've seen some stuff on social media how how are y'all getting more more involved with with pal so um as i said we actually being in Auden's presence um, five or six years ago and having him talk about climate change and really what's it what's at risk woke woke me up and that was really the introduction um, to me 
uh, with Powell in it's probably been three or four years ago. Um, I, I was invited by Powell to go protect our winners to go to D.C. and lobby on on Capitol Hill, which was the first time I had ever done anything like like that. And um, several Olympians, Carolyn Gleick and a number of other big mountain skiers and um, and and outdoor or not our our winter sports badasses were were gathered and i felt really luckily lucky to be a part of that and hillary was there um she this was in the time of the hoot owl owl restrictions in montana where Mm. you couldn't you couldn't fish after a certain point because of low water fires um and 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 so to hear professionals both in in olympians or people that i admired like um, like Hillary testify in, in front of um, a caucus of, um, of Congress people that were interested in climate solutions was as, as well as being in the office and in the presence of um, um, congressmen and senators like um, Murkowski from Lisa Murkowski from Alaska and some others was really a humbling and energizing experience. And so one thing that I've done, Orvis has done in supporting me in, in that with Powell to go lobby on the Hill. Auden has come to the Orvis Guide Rendezvous, which is something we've been doing about 30 or 35 years to get um, guides, uh, lodge owners, um, operators in the fly fishing and wing shooting uh, outfitting industry together uh, on an annual basis, and we had Auden come and talk about climate change um, to to that audience. Um, so that's another another way that we've participated. And then on the on the corporate PR and collaboration side, um, we're working, I think, and in, in conversations with with Powell in different ways about how Orvis can um, can can support Powell and and vice versa and I'm going to be getting together with a lot of with Auden and um, some other folks from POW in two weeks when we're out um, in Denver together for the fly fishing industry trade show to understand progress um, POW has made in terms of recruitment and engagement of different groups. I know they've launched POW Trail super engaged from a from an engagement and an advocacy and a recruitment perspective and so I would say those are kind of the major headlines or, or ways in which Orvis and, and Power are, are collaborating. Cool. And, and, and so you, you know, obviously um, talking about climate change and the impact that it has on our fisheries, you know, I think it's probably a good opportunity um, if, if anyone hasn't been, uh, educated on that it's so basically you know and the ipcc actually just released a a new report um about so it with freshwater fisheries it's uh there's less snowpack um so you know uh, streams are getting warmer earlier in the season because it's hotter um, which is not good for cold water species and um that is uh, a direct result of climate change, so it's bad for freshwater fisheries. But this new IPCC report that um, I haven't read the whole thing, but I've just kind of read a, a summary of it. 
is talking about uh, the impact that it's having uh, in our oceans because our oceans are absorbing uh, the large majority of the heat um, as, as well as the, the, uh, the greenhouse gases. And it's making our oceans more acidic, uh, making it more difficult for um, shelled animals and crustaceans and things to survive, which has ripple effects throughout ecosystems, it's changing migratory patterns. So, you know, as, as businesses in the, uh, you know, whether it's fly fishing or uh, winter sports or, you know, the, the outdoor industry period, um, it makes sense to um, address climate change and everyone to, to do their part and, um, and, and what they can really, I, you know, I, I think, um, you know, everyone and the industry should should be working towards a common goal of of, of carbon neutrality. Um, Amen, brother. I couldn't agree. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like as a as an angler, as a dad, as a citizen of the world, when you think about the the impacts and and if if we don't change um, the emissions pattern and the the temperature continues to to rise past some of these tipping points you know we we can already see what the encroachment is and the impact on native fish species i live in new england which is the um you know the ancestral home of of the brook trout and it's pretty obvious what's already happened in our lifetimes in terms of um the amount of um the diminishment of of winter snow and then what that means in terms of uh, water availability within the streams, less water, more warming, less um, ability to, um, to, to manage stress or say, stay safe from, from predation, um, the reduction and kind of passage for, for spawning. So that's really scary in the West. And you spoke to it, you've got less snowpack, you have the, um, the reality that um, the winters aren't as severe, you have uh, bark beetles and different things that are re wreaking havoc. On the forest, there's a, there's a symbiotic relationship, if that's the right word, between um, you know, forest cover on the mountainsides, uh, allowing for the, sn the snow to stay longer through the summer and melt more slowly, which allows for uh, a more steady supply of cold water through summer. So there's kind of a one-two punch of not getting cold, not killing off the bugs that are wreaking havoc on the trees, less snow to begin with. So then it's happening, you know, the runoff is happening in these mega events. And then um, depending on how much um, spring snow or how much rain or how warm it ends up getting um, during the summer, you can have um, rivers and ecosystems that are on the, the fringes get marginalized. There were, you know, tons of whitefish that died in Yellowstone um, that they just linked to, um, to, to, to stress from, from temperature. So on the freshwater side, I think you can see the patterns and know that the path that we're on without any um, urgent change is bad. And then, as you said, um, the, the threats of ocean acidification, coral bleaching, 
invertebrates, not and 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 um, the hard-shelled critters like shrimp and 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 um, mussels and all that not being able to do their thing, seagrass seagrass die off. What all that means in terms of the 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 critters and the fish that we love to to chase, the ecosystems that they depend on, the economies both local and and through manufacturing and sales and fly shop and that whole um, web of, of, of the economic benefit that that results from from sport fishing I mean it's 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 staring us in the face for sure yeah yeah I, and I mean it, it it's one of those things too I mean you mentioned um, you know what you're what you're seeing in uh, in terms of brook trout and and we're in Charleston, where I live, and in, in the in the form of uh, sea level rise. Um, there, the days that downtown Charleston is flooded is increased significantly, even over the last ten years. Um, I, I read an article in the the local paper, Post and Courier. I, I don't remember what the statistics were on it, but it's basically it went from. I don't know, like 10 days a year to now it's like over 50 days a year where there are streets in downtown Charleston that are underwater. Um, and that is directly attributed to sea level rise, um, which is another impact. And so, you know, you, you mentioned it's staring, it's staring everyone in the face. And um, I know that Orvis, um, in addition to protect our winners and and because i think that's a that's a really important component and and in terms of we need in order to have systemic change it's at the scale that we need you have to affect policy and so in order to do that uh pal is a great vehicle um to let your elected officials know but you know everyone out there listening to this um should be calling in to, or, or emailing or, or what, however they'd like to communicate uh, with their elected officials and let them know that this is important and that their vote depends on it. Um, because, you know, as you said, you, you have a, uh, I, I know you have a, a couple of kids. I have a, a, and to, to not act is, is just, is irresponsible. Um, and so, I know that Orvis, um, and I was wondering if you could uh, elaborate or, or share a little bit of some of the things that Orvis is doing. Like I know, I know it's at your headquarters. I think um, that you'll have a solar array and, and things like that. If, if you wouldn't mind um, shedding a little a little light there and and and, and some success stories that y'all have had. Sure. So the so. I think it's been five years we installed solar panels on a roof it's not um offsetting 100 percent of the of the electricity consumption in this building but um it offsets a significant amount and we've got over 200 folks um in this office we've we have our uh, our warehouse we have our corporate office we have um there's 70 corporate retail stores and so conversion of the lights to LED to um, reduce energy consumption has been a major um, area of focus for us. I just got an email like two weeks ago to say, 
if you're here at the office on the weekend, you have to park in a certain place because we're going to convert all the dawn dusk lights um, in, or du what, yeah, dusk to dawn lights in the parking lot to, to LEDs, which oh, cool. um, I, was, I was happy to see. Um, we've been partnering with uh, Coast Sunglasses on their Kick Plastic initiative and so if you were to come here as a as a visitor or vendor of Orvis you'd see that it's completely plastic free you've got to use your own reusable container plates knives um all that which is is small but it's also about reinforcing behavior modification and some sense of personal ownership but um within uh the the employee base at Orvis um our uh, our sustainability lead, um, who is within the, the, the sourcing and product team, um, she is part of the Outdoor Industry Association Sustainability Working Group, which is a group of um, leaders within different outdoor industry uh, businesses that are, that are comparing notes and, um, and holding themselves accountable to, to, to walk the talk when it, become, when it comes to um, you know, chemistry, processing, handling, waste, energy consumption, and supply chain water consumption, which is which is a big thing, um, with a goal of uh, trying to walk the talk when it comes to knowing that at the end of the day we we make a lot of stuff, we sell a lot of stuff. Like, what's the total life cycle? Are the raw materials coming from virgin materials versus using recycled polyester and our shells and our insulation you know, recycling is the be all end all because the original resources were still used and consumed in the the manufacturing and those are lost but just in terms of um some level of circularity keeping the materials in use for a longer period of time and and improving or, or diminishing the amount of waste that ends up in a landfill that's an area that that we're focused on um we're starting the 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 process of um seeking b corp certification yeah. which is another um you know set of standards and baseline in terms of business practices and and, and supply chain um product life cycle uh energy et cetera, et cetera um which is i think which is is really cool and i think i need to be transparent and accountable and saying we've got we're, we're still relatively early on in our journey but yeah. i'm also proud of the the company ownership company leadership that we're 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 talking about this stuff and and trying to establish baselines in terms of our baseline greenhouse gas emission our carbon footprint so we can set some goals towards carbon neutrality. We're putting solar panels on a building, doing the LED conversions. And then some of the little things, and this may be Vermont, which is a, a unique place, but you know, we've got bees um, that folks in this office take care of. We've got a community garden. We, we compost all the, relatively recently, we compost all, all the food waste and, and the biz, within this building so you know those are i think all different ways in which um the company is trying to own 
our footprint and put different small and, and bigger, more strategic things in play to um, reduce our, our energy consumption and our, and our impact. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you, you, which is all fantastic. And I, and I applaud y'all. And, and one of the things that, you know, I, I think if, if there's any, um, you know, business owners or, or really anyone, but um, one of the things that, you know, I, I tell all of my clients in, in terms of when it comes to sustainability, you know, there, there is, you never really achieve sustainability. It's a journey, you know, you have to start somewhere. And, you know, the people who want to, you know, uh, point fingers and say, you're not doing enough, you're not doing this, you know, that, that doesn't help anyone. Um, any business should start somewhere, um, whatever that is. You mentioned baselines, and you're exactly right. So, you know, create, uh, do a, a, a calculate your carbon footprint, have your baseline, and then start to do to implement things like like you're talking about. Of okay, let's switch to LED. Okay, we've realized some cost savings there. You know, then we can maybe reinvest that into. Uh, some other sustainability initiatives that are going to further not only improve our financial performance, but also our environmental performance, which ultimately benefits society. And that is, um, in terms of a sustainable business model, that's a, that, that's what is called the, the triple bottom line, right? You have your social, environmental, and economic bottom lines. And uh, Orvis is, is certainly on the right path. And, um, I, I, I love to hear that. So, you know, it's a, it's a win-win. I, I, another point that I always, you know, try and make is that people think that they have to sacrifice quality or that it's going to cost them money when in fact, uh, businesses that operate with a sustainable business model are actually improving their environmental performance through a reduction in operational costs. Um, but also, uh, they have more loyal customers uh, because of the growing number of conscious consumers, um, as well as increasing competitive advantage and using sustainability as a way to drive innovation and the right thing to do. And um, so anyway, I just I, I, I thought I'd I'd mention all of that, that it's not a um, you know, it's not a race. It's it's a journey. And you make uh, you know, a hundred pennies make a dollar, you know, you make these small improvements. If everyone does that, we have a huge impact. So, um, I think that's really great what y'all are doing. So kudos. One of the things that has been really clear to me in our current, um, climate is, you know, we're a free market capitalist, um, country economy. Um, and we place a lot of pride on that in different ways. And, um, when you, sh when a business shows up or representative of a business shows up, um, whether it's at the local state or national level and talks about sustainability, climate change, threat, existential threats to their business model, their ability to supply jobs and, and, and generate value in, in the economy, um, politicians pay attention. So, um, it's been eye-opening for me to see how important, how much value is placed on um, the voices of businesses within 
um, the, the, the broader economic and, and political landscape and why I'm really proud to work at a company like Orvis. Hey, thanks for listening to the Sustainable Angler podcast. Uh, we thought we'd take a minute to give a quick uh, shout out to um, our friends over at Protect Our Winners. Um, they're working really hard to mobilize the outdoor sports community against climate change. And uh, if you have the means, uh, we'd definitely uh, recommend donating to their cause. Um, and you can find out more information at protectourwinners.org. Um, Steve, one of the things that I, I wanted to ask you about, because they, um, you know, in terms of communicating um, climate change impacts and, um, you know, bringing that conversation, um, which is part of what we're trying to do on this podcast, right, is, is, is open up that conversation. But ultimately, I think probably the most powerful medium out there is film and um, you and I have a, a mutual friend and Todd Tanner from Conservation Hawks, and he's done, um, I know, you know, I, I don't know the ins and outs. I'll, I'll let you uh, tell us more about that. But I know Orvis has been involved in some of the films that he's done about climate change and its impact on uh, hunting and fishing. Um, so. What are I, I, what, I, I know that you were actually in one of one of the films, and I know uh, other folks from Orvis have been too. But um, could you tell us a little bit more about uh, about uh, getting involved with with those films? Yeah, absolutely. So I got exposed to Todd um, in um, quite a while ago, probably six years ago when we were living in Jackson, and and had the opportunity to participate in the first um, film that he made their conservation hawks made and i probably should take a step back real quick um and and say one i'm on the board of conservation hawks and have been for a number of years and two um our our missions really to engage hunters and anglers about around the threats they're posed to um you know the things that we love uh, as a result of of climate tra- change and cr- try and create a voice and a and a movement um, of of change and of political action um, to our elected officials um, through the through the, the the army of the tens of millions of um, people that love to hunt and fish in this in this um, country and um, who sadly in a lot of cases. Are, are sitting on the the sidelines and are either um, open in open denial about um, the things that are happening or aren't uh, moved to, to 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 step up and and have their voice be heard. And so um, we've used film as a vehicle for um, trying to, to to tell stories and and talk about threats to to climate change in different um, in different ecosystems and. And even um, as they relate to different uh, species out there that people like to to chase with a rod or with a gun, so that the first um, project uh, was uh, our goal was to be on the fly fishing film tour, and it was a collaboration with uh, with Orvis and Patagonia and some other brands. And um, I was privileged enough to 
um, spent some time with Von Trinard from Patagonia, who's a passionate angler, as you probably know, uh, West Yellowstone and um, fly tire and fly shop uh, icon Craig Matthews. Tim Romano's photographer and a and a and a rider in the industry, myself, Todd Tanner, and his son Kean. And so um, you know, we got together and we made a film and it was on a a, a little um stream. It's a tributary of the Madison. Uh, that had a really cool conservation success story. And um Craig really uh, thought it was gonna be awesome fishing and and we had all these great anglers and we were gonna make this high impact movie that both had a purpose and a message, but also had some great fishing footage in there. And, um, you know, six really <laughs> well-experienced anglers uh, were hard pressed to grind out a couple fish over the course of the day, which just goes <laughs> to show you that mother nature never cooperates. But if you fast forward, um, in terms of Orvis's collaboration and participation, um, Tom Rosenbauer, went and did a, a film project uh, up in British Columbia around um, called Chrome that um, was around uh, steelhead and salmon and and the impacts of climate change to migratory fish. Um, the next year, it was more about um, generations and, and family. Um, and that film was called Convergence and, again, was on the um, fly fishing film tour and, and, and some folks from Orvis, Simon Perkins and Perk and um, a friend, Hillary Hutchison and her daughters that I referenced earlier were part of that. And then the most recent um, uh, film project, which aired on the sportsman's channel as an actual episode over the course of this winter, um, we, we stepped out of just um, fly fishing as, as the focus in our core comfort zone. And, um, there were, um, several different pathways, one around upland bird hunting in the West, uh, one around fly fishing on the Henry's fork, one around, um, ice fishing, um, in, uh, in, in, in Montana, Wyoming. And then the last one was Craig Matthews again, talking about elk hunting and and what climate change could mean in terms of um big game ecosystems and a lot of the stuff that we talked about in terms of winters and snowpack and um you know fires and and um and different species and subspecies of grasses and of, of trees that all that underpin the the ecosystem that elk um thrive in are uh are at risk in the same way that um, Western wild trout populations are at risk as well. So I've been um, one really energized and it's pretty cool to be able to be a part of a part of a film with a message um, with some really cool people and icons of mine, like, like Yvonne and, and Craig, and then to have helped um, support, through the sponsorship of Orvis and the participation of some of our associates like Tom Rosenbauer and our um, shareholders like the Perkins family in, in the creation of these projects over the past four or five years. Yeah, I, um, I, I have been a huge fan of, of all those films and um, really uh, to 
just really inspiring. Um, and, and I'll, <laughs> I'll say that there, there, there's some Mondays that I, that, that I, that I watch cold waters to get fired up to start the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, that's super cool. And, um, you know, and I, and I love that, um, that Orvis is a part of that and supports it and is an Orvis customer and, um, and, and a friend of yours, I, I, I appreciate everything y'all are doing. Awesome. Um, well, I thought maybe we would segue into uh, some rapid fire questions here. Um, we've been. I'm ready. All right. So we've been talking. Uh, I'm a Capricorn. <laughs> I like cheeseburgers. And fishing. <laughs> um, we we've been talking climate change. We've been talking some heavy stuff. Um, hopefully we've shed a positive light on, on, uh, what Orvis is, is doing, but now it's time for some rapid fire fishing questions. So let's start with, um, if there was one fly that you could use for saltwater, all species, not flat species, anything, if you only had one fly uh, to use, what would it be? Uh, Enrico Puglisi peanut butter. A peanut butter fly. Yep. Okay. All right. So it, all species, Steve, you heard it from Steve Hempkins. He's going with the peanut. <laughs> um, favorite, uh, Western trout river. Uh, the upper green river in Wyoming. Yeah, love that area. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't. Don't ask me to get any more specific than that. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. We, 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 we will not do that. Um, <laughs> all right, and then uh, freshwater and salt uh, favorite species to catch on on fly. Freshwater um, trout. I'm a kind of a little bit of a redneck. I still like to catch my bass on a spinnerbait from my childhood in Missouri. But um, trout, freshwater, uh, tarpon, and saltwater. I've had a tarpon ex um, obsession and an annual pilgrimage um, pretty much every year for almost 20 years. So um, I've got a lot of love and curiosity and passion for um the big, the, the big silver guys and little, little ones too. Oh, absolutely. The, uh, they, they are, they are dinosaurs. They're fascinating, uh, fish for sure. Hey, so I wanted to take another, uh, minute to give another uh, quick shout out to our friends over at Conservation Hawks um, who are really uh, also helping to, to motivate hunters and anglers to get more involved with climate change. There's a ton of great information on their site, conservationhawks.org, and you can also find um, all of the videos that Steve and I mentioned on their YouTube and Vimeo channels. So. Uh, don't forget to check that out. That 
wraps this up. So, um, Steve, I, I, I really do appreciate you uh, carving out some time for me today. I know I know that you're busy. Um, I'd like to just say also thank you to for your leadership at, at Orvis and and um, taking a stance on climate change. I think it's wonderful. And um, yeah, I just really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Rick. It's been great talking to you and I'll, I'll see you in a couple of weeks off Denver. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, all right. Have all a good right. weekend. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Sustainable Angler podcast. Uh, for more episodes, you can find us on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And we also have a Facebook and Instagram account, The Sustainable Angler. Uh, so don't forget to follow us there for the latest. Thanks.